What's up, everyone? This is episode 108 of the Wax Museum podcast, where I talk about all things basketball cards from past to present to future. This is your host, Kyle. And as always, you guys can find me throughout the week on social media. My Instagram is at Wax Museum Podcast, and my Twitter is at Wax Museum PC. Well, it's been kind of a rough time for the basketball community this past week. First off, we found out that LeBron James is going to be out for an extended amount of time. Similarly, LaMelo Ball got hurt. He's going to miss the rest of the season. And then we had some very sad news on Monday that Elgin Baylor passed away. And that news actually came out right before I recorded this week's main segment. Um, and coincidentally, that segment is a conversation with a 50-plus year Lakers fan. So we'll cover the Baylor news a little more later on. Before I get there, I've got a few quick notes about some recently discovered counterfeit one-of-one cards. Um, I'm going to hold off on talking about some recent mail. I can leave that for a future episode. And then, as mentioned earlier, I've got a conversation with a longtime Laker collector named Kirk that I want to share with you. Okay, so let's start with the counterfeit cards. Last week in my mail segment, I talked about how I purchased and received a 1999-2000 SPX Jeff Foster Radiance Parallel that was numbered to 100. And I mentioned that the only other parallel in the set, other than the base card, of course, was the one-of-one Spectrum. Well, coincidentally, I log on to the blowout forums a few days later, and Dan, who has been on this show several times, Dan posted a thread that featured a big batch of one-of-one Spectrum cards from that set. However, the reason he posted those was because he discovered they were originally unstamped, backdoored copies, meaning they were originally printed with the same one uh, one pattern on the surface, but not the one one stamp. And these were intended to remain at Upper Deck. They weren't for public consumption, but somehow they got out. Hence, that's why we use the term backdoored. It's become a pretty common hobby term over the years. Well... A lot of times when that stuff gets out, it gets into the hands of bad people, and maybe in this case, um, the bad people or or maybe bad person managed to put their own 101 stamp on the cards, and it was pretty accurate, so much so that they fooled PSA on a Kobe, they fooled BGS on at least nine different players, and then they got SGC for at least... 17 copies and these were in the old SGC slab so this was a little while ago but combined that's 27 total cards and those are only the ones that we know of so if you have any 1999-2000 Spectrum 101 cards in your collection I encourage you to find that thread on the blowout forums as you'll see the serial numbers on the legitimate copies have a little bit tighter spacing whereas the counterfeit examples are a little more spread out. Now, with that being said, this was bad news for a lot of player collectors that um, had these cards in their collections and trusted the third-party graders to get it right. Now, seeing as they were the hardest hit of the three, I messaged SGC a couple days ago to just see what their protocol is for handling counterfeit cards in SGC slabs. I thought it would benefit the card community as a whole to know. I was starting to wonder if I'd hear back from them, but in their defense, they seem pretty busy posting Winnie the Pooh memes on social media. 
Well, they must have made the trek back from 100 Acre Woods because Wednesday morning they got back to me and here's what they had to say. Quote, With cards worth millions of dollars in our holder, we of course take the authentication and grading process incredibly seriously. Whenever the owner of a card believes that the authenticity of their item is in question, we do everything possible to address those concerns head-on and handle the issue in the most effective way possible. These issues can be wide-ranging, but our 22-year history will show that we stand behind our work and address all issues directly. Thank you for reaching out. End quote. So, I do want to thank them for responding. I'm still not sure what their protocol is, but if you ever find yourself to be an owner of a counterfeit card in an SGC slab, it at least sounds like you can reach out to them and they'll address it as they see fit. All right, before I move into today's conversation with Kirk, I want to take a moment to remind you how you can support this show. As you guys know, there are costs that go into producing a podcast. One of my goals is to always keep the show itself free of charge. And as a result, I've signed up for affiliate programs with eBay and Fanatics. If you'd like to help support the show in this way, go to www.waxmuseumpodcast.com and click either the Fanatics logo or the eBay logo at the top. Shop as planned and the Wax Museum Podcast gets a small commission in the process. It's a win-win. Once again, that's www.waxmuseumpodcast.com. This is Slick Leonard. You're listening to the Wax Museum Podcast. Boom, baby! All right, so joining me today is somebody that I'm very excited to have on the show. I talked about this guy all the way back in episode 22 in my 2019 national recap because that's where I met him at the national. Um, We have since corresponded. He's been very generous to me. He's been very supportive of this show, and I've always wanted to have him on to talk about his, uh, mainly his Lakers collection, but a number of things. So I've got Kirk with me today. Kirk, how are you doing? Great, Kyle. It's a pleasure to be here. Um, I, I, it's really an honor to be on your show. Um, I've been one who I've really tried to learn more about modern cards over the last three or four years, and I'm really, really glad I found your podcast. And there are lots, lots of content out there. There was there was none when I started looking at the end of 2018, early 2019. But I can really, really say your content, your your content, I have really learned a lot. And there's a lot of content out there that has alternative motives where they're putting out content for a certain reason. But you put out your content to benefit the hobby and to, and to teach the hobby and to make it a better place. And it's really an honor to be on here with your show. Well, I, thank you very much. I appreciate that. Um, now, when we met, that, like I said, it was at the 2019 national and I, I kind of told my version, but the podcast wasn't very old. Then I started it in late March. And, um, why don't you tell your version? Cause I've told mine, Uh, tell your version. Well, I, um, started looking for basketball card content and it was late 2018. And really the only one that I could find that was live was the House of Jordans with Chris, Christina and Brian. Mm-hmm. And they were long, which was great. I work a lot of weekends. And so I can sit here and it's nice to have something on in the background. And so those, their episodes were like four, maybe five hours. Yeah. And, and I, I liked that. And actually, I oh. would listen to it 
um, a week, like a week driving to yeah. work at that point. You know, and it was fantastic, but, but I crave more. And I would look about once a month, I would look and find more. And then in March, I was in on a Saturday and I found your podcast. You had done one episode, which was on the Panini getting the exclusive for basketball cards and how that came about. And then your next episode, I couldn't believe you did it on the 1972 Topps basketball set where you went and tr tried to get autographs of every player. And to me, that set meant a lot to me as a Laker fan growing up, the Lakers won their first NBA championship in the 71-72 season. So in the Topps card set in 1972, they put in the championship series cards, which was a, high, a picture of each game in the NBA finals, you know, and a certain player who was the star of that game, they put that picture in. And so for me, this was the first time being a Laker fan that the Lakers won the NBA championship. I mean, I led a scarred childhood losing to the Celtics so many times that the Lakers finally won one. And I wanted to get all of those Laker tribute cards and also all the Laker players from that set. And the more I got and bought packs, I said, you know what? I'm buying so many of these packs. I'm going to see if I can get every Hall of Famer from this set. And so that was one of the sets in my collection where I had a lot of cards. And so for then for you to talk about how you went and tried to get all of those cards signed by the players back there, I said, this is what this is perfect. This, this is great content. I can't believe that he would try to do something like this. And I've been hooked ever since. I've listened to every one of your podcasts since then. It, it and, was and, uh, a foolish pursuit almost on my <laughs> part, right? I didn't know what I was getting into, but I couldn't stop. And then you had mentioned in a couple episodes that you were going to be going to the national that year. And I said, and you started advertising that if you wanted to, you want to support the show, you can go to this website and buy a t-shirt. So I said, I'm going to get uh, one of these t-shirts and wear it and see if I can bump into Kyle at the show. And then sure enough, you, you came up to me and, and you saw me wearing the shirt on the floor at the show. And, and it, it was just light of all those people, of all those people, it just worked out that I bumped into you and it was great. Well, and, and the logistics of that happening to me first, I think I had sold three t-shirts and I bought two of them. So you, <laughs> I think you were literally the only other person that, well, I know Adam, there was one more person, um, the Rodman gallery. Um, so you, I think you were one of the only people that had those. And then I actually bumped into you. So I, I did a major double take. So um, thank you. And, and I'm glad, you know, I'm very happy that we ended up connecting and, and we've been friends since. So yep. you talked a little bit about growing up a Lakers fan. And I know some of that about your past, but I don't really know your whole collecting background. So uh, why don't you tell us a little bit about your collecting background? My family moved to Los Angeles in 1961, which was the Lakers first year in Los Angeles. After the 1960 season, they moved from Minneapolis out to Los Angeles. Of course, I was three at the time and really wasn't, you know, really into collecting cards. The earliest evidence I had of collecting cards was the 1964 Topps baseball set. So when I went back and looked at a lot of my cards, that was the first evidence that I had baseball cards. Mm -hmm. um, I did not have any 1961 FLIR cards in my possession for basketball. And there, there weren't that you know, after the 1961 Fleer basketball set, nobody made basketball again 
until basketball cards again until 1969 tops, which were the tall boys. And so I had collected baseball cards, you know, 64 up to that year. And when those cards came out, they really weren't available at a lot of the regular places where I would get my baseball cards. You had to only like certain drugstores had them. They were shaped a little different way. The display was different. And a lot of the, you know, you kind of had to work to get them. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I liked them. I bought them in 68, 69, really liked the 71, 72 set when they went to the smaller size. Going back now and looking at them, the way that they did the colors, a lot of the Laker colors, it, you know, just really bright colors. The Lakers had their gold uniforms and most of their background of those cards were kind of like that hot pink, which was, yeah. you, you, you would think, which... who would think to put these colors together? <laughs> but when you look at them, you know, they're, they're very, very stunning. They, they actually did that with the Pacers for the ABA side too, which I thought was kind of weird, you know, looking back, but I, I like it. It looks good. Yeah. So mostly, so I just, coll- I, I collected Laker cards. There were a few players that I really um, admired and got like back then he was Lou Alcindor. So I liked his cards. Uh, I remember on the Baltimore Bullets, Wes Unseld, Mm-hmm. Um, he was one of the first players ever. He was rookie of the year and MVP in the same year. And just, you know, learning basketball at that time and the fundamentals of basketball, he, you know, his full court chess pass was just amazing. And just, he was just a rock and just a very quiet player. You know, they, you know, they had um, Earl Monroe started out on that team, was in Baltimore, and then got traded to the Knicks. And then he just, you know, the moves that he had. And then Pete Maravich was a totally different player just with his ball skills. So mostly those types of players, you know, and then, you know, I collected through the seventies and I went away to college in 1976. And so I didn't buy too many cards that much, you know, during college, I graduated from college in in 1981, which was the year tops stopped making basketball cards. Mm -hmm. And there were not basketball cards again to buy until 1986 when Fleur set came out. And when that set came out, it wasn't really all that popular. I was still collecting baseball fairly heavily at that time, mm-hmm. you know, and I did. And so you'd go to shows and you'd start to see some of those cards come out. But really, that set came out in 1986. And you really did not see a lot of those cards out in dealer showcases until the Bulls started to win and Michael Jordan, you would see Michael Jordan's card come out. Mm-hmm. So the Bulls, you know, they won in the early 90s, like 92, was it 92, 93, 94? And then you started to go to shows. And in Los Angeles in the 90s, there were a lot of shows, unlike what happened the next 10 years after that. And so when I would go to shows, you would see, you know, Laker cards. And back then you'd see Magic cards. And then you'd see Michael Jordan cards. And one of the first cards that I saw that was a modern basketball card to me at that time that was modern was Michael Jordan's first refractor, you know, in that, you know, the 93 set. And mm-hmm. I said, wow, this is, this is pretty, this is different. The colors were great. And I kind of liked the backs of them. Even the backs of the cards were colored. You know, when you, when you go and you look at vintage cards, a lot of vintage cards on the backs of the cards, there's not much there. And for collectors back at that time, like baseball, like the 1989 Upper Deck Baseball set, I mean, you had really nice color photography on the front and on the back. So I really took a notice of those cars, and it was the most that I ever paid for a modern card. I still have that card today. I bought it raw. And back then, um, modern basketball cards really weren't graded. PSA didn't start 
till 1991. And most of the cards that they pretty much graded when they started were vintage cards. So you would go to shows and uh, if dealers, the way they judged if they thought their card was worth money, it was how big of a holder was it in? And back then they had these big <laughs> Lucite block holders. And this Jordan card came in like this Lucite, Lucite block holder. And I'm gonna pay 200, I paid 250 cash for it, which is the most I'd ever paid for a modern basketball card. I said, look, I, I'm interested. And it was a hard card to find. They, mm -hmm. There wasn't a lot of them. I said, but you're going to have to kind of unscrew <laughs> this because I, I want to look at it. And so I actually got it and I made the deal. I said, look, you can keep the holder. I, you know, I got like a little top loader and took it home in that. And, and I, so that was like the first modern card I have. I still have it. Then um, the next year, I bought his, the refractor came out again. And, you know, so those, it was no top sets. Those are just finest sets. And so I did more of those, um, you know, and, and like those. And then finally in 1996, Topps Chrome came out and it just so happened they, they came out and they had a rookie in that set named Kobe Bryant. And so I was, you know, and, and Kobe, you know, no one really knew what Kobe was going to be. It's not like, he did not play college. And so it's not like you had, you had a chance and you saw him in the final four for a couple of years and you had an idea what he was going to be. You know, he, he just, you know, they actually traded Vladi Divac to the Charlotte, you know, at that time to the Charlotte Hornets for, you know, for the 13th pick. And, you know, Charlotte at the 13th pick took Kobe. And then the Lakers traded Vladi Divac to get him. And right. I mean, Jerry didn't West, Hornets, who, didn't he refuse to play for the Hornets, right? He heard he was going to be yeah. going there. Well, yeah. And, and they'd worked out the trade ahead of time. And, you know, Jerry West, who was my idol, is my first, really the first player I really PC'd as a collector. You know, he had a workout when Kobe Bryant had the workout. And there are a few of the people there. And he said all the workouts he'd ever been to, it was the, he could not believe how good Kobe was. And at that same time, when they worked that trade, the Lakers were trying to work out and sign Shaquille O'Neal as a free agent. And Jerry West said, look, you know, of course, back that time, the, the, the Lakers would try to sell players to come out to Los Angeles. One, it's a iconic franchise, but two, there's a lot of things off the court that you can make money on. And Shaq had a big personality, but Jerry West told him, I said, look, if you come out here, you don't know this kid, but I think he's going to be one of the best basketball players in the world within a couple of years. And Shaq kind of took his word, his word for it. And so I started and got a lot of Kobe cards. Now, where I made a mistake in kind of the era that I grew up in, you know, I kind of had my collector's constitution. You really pretty much only bought rookie cards. It was very rare that you would get like a player second year card that was not really looked upon. And so, you know, at that time I bought a lot of his different um, rookie cards, you know, and, and eventually, you know, in PSA was the only great grading company at that time. In 98, SGC opened up, <clears throat> they opened their doors, but mostly for vintage baseball and then Beckett opened up in 1999, that's when they started. And a lot of people, if you're just new into the collecting world now, when Beckett opened up, I mean, their holders were extremely different. And, you know, they came out and they marketed Southern California pretty heavily. 
Because it's interesting going to shows in the 90s, which a lot of people couldn't believe now. The like PSA would go to shows, and all through the 90s, PSA would go, you know, you would see the PSA representatives at shows. A lot of times they just sat there lonely. I mean, PSA opened their doors in 1991. From 1991 to 1999, they only graded a million cards. Hmm. You know, that was it. And then Beckett started, and Beckett started, and, and you know, and, and I got, okay, I really like these holders. This is different. And, and, and at that time, back in the 90s, PSA's holders were not that sturdy. They were, you know, you could, the card moved around a lot. And there were, I'm sure a lot of cards that when they originally got graded, they might've been a nine, but after <laughs> six, seven, eight years of bouncing around in a dealer showcase from, you know, you know, they, those cards got moved around and over the years, they really weren't the original grade and they were pretty inconsistent. So I decided, okay, I'm going to get my cards graded by Beckett. And man, I figured, okay, well, they've got this new scale. You know, I'm going to, I'm probably going to get a lot of gems. Cause I was, I thought I was really, really picky at the time. Oh man, they were tough. I mean, mm -hmm. I got a lot of nines, a lot of eight fives, and I came close to getting some gems. You get two nine fives and a couple nines that, I mean, they really, really graded hard. And almost to the point where I think it might've been a little too hard and they graded vintage the same way. And people hmm. stopped giving them vintage cards because every vintage card you gave them, you're getting twos and threes. <laughs> so that's when they came up with the BVG label. Cause I had tried, you know, you know, I'd given a couple of my Laker cards from the, from the seventies and they just got, it was like, I thought they were really nice and clean that, you know, I kept them up. I was getting like threes and fours. I go, Oh God, this, <laughs> this is tough. And it was, it wasn't cheap at that time to, to grade these cards for what they actually cost raw was expensive to me as a collector. Mm -hmm. And so I just kind of stopped, you know, after, you know, I just, you know, this, you know, I just, nah, forget this. I just kind of stopped. Um, and, and, but it was, it was totally different that, you know, those, those Beckett cards to get a gem mint and a Beckett card, especially all five, all four grades, unbelievable to get it was, was really hard to do that. They really, really graded hard. Hmm. So I take it then you you continued collecting during the 2000s? I, I continued collecting. I um, The thing that really helped me, because, uh, you know, um, eBay started in 1995 mm -hmm. and was totally not what it is today. I mean, it was, you know, they, and they really, they hired Meg Whitman at the end of 1998. And so they really ramped up. But even eBay, people will laugh back in that day you know, there was no PayPal. Right. So, so you would win a card. Some dealers took credit card. They would take your credit card information and you, you might get your card a little quicker. Some, if they trusted you and you were a repeat customer, they would take a check, but you had to wait for your check to clear. Then they would mail you your card. If you got a, if you got a good flow going with a dealer and you would send them checks, then maybe they would mail you the cards right away. Wait for the check to clear once they trusted you. But a lot of them wanted postal money orders. Yeah, I remember <laughs> I first signed up uh, around 2001 and that was still a thing. And I even sent some cash in the mail and no, no issues, by the way, sent cash in the no. mail. Imagine that today. Yeah, and so I really got in. And for me, it was great because, you know, there, 
were less and less shows in Southern California. And then eBay just kind of put an end to the shows. There just weren't that many shows. And so for me, all of my purchases then, you know, were on eBay. And then in 2001, um, PSA started with a set registry. And so then that's when, okay, which was the, you know, I said, all right, I'm going to get, try to get all my Laker cards graded and if I can get them in PSA nine and start putting together Laker sets. And then the, the one thing I really wanted to do, that's kind of when I started on the Jerry West, my Jerry West collection, which um, I had a lot of the cards, but to get the master set, what you needed to get were, there were cards that I didn't even know existed. And I really hadn't seen them living at Los Angeles at the time, which were, there were four Cons Wiener cards and Cons Wiener was a meat, a hot dog company in Cincinnati, Ohio. And they were, because Jerry West played at the University of West Virginia, and that campus is not that far from Cincinnati, Ohio. They had a Cincinnati Royal set. So Cons Wieners had a Cincinnati Royal set. And in 60, 61, 62, 63, they put a Jerry West card in that Cincinnati Royal set. And he was in a Laker uniform. Hmm. And so those cards, you know, that was just to find those. I mean, I hunted and hunted. I scoured the internet. I scoured eBay listings. Even if somebody had a Cincinnati, would show a Cincinnati Royals card for sale on eBay, I would email and go, do you know, do you have a West? Do you have a West? And it was really, really hard to track those down. It took me over 10 years to finally track them all down, but I did. I remember you, um, I first learned about that set from talking with you and and I've been able to grab one or two since then. Um, But you, I remember you telling me a lot of them in general were just destroyed because people are cutting these packs of hot dogs well, open. Well, so a lot, there, uh, there's, there's, there's the hardcore collectors say a card really can't be considered a rookie card unless it comes out of a pack of cards. It's got to come out of a pack. Of, you got to be issued in a pack. Mm-hmm. Well, the 1960 cons wiener card was one year before Jerry West rookie card in a, in a, in a, in a card set, which was the 1961 flare set. But the cons wiener cards, you would have the hot dogs and they would be shrink wrapped in a plastic container. Around that shrink wrap was the label, you know, the cons wiener label and the cards were stuck between the label and the shrink wrap. So most people, when you get your hot dogs at home, either they go into the refrigerator or they get cut open right away. And then the, and you don't even know the cards there and the juice gets the card. Mm -hmm. So if you go and you see some of those cards that are for sale on eBay that are ungraded, you see a lot of them with stains. Those aren't gum stains. Yeah. <laughs> those, are, those are stains from hot dog juice. <laughs> yeah, I, my, uh, my Oscar Robertson has some hot dog stains on it, unfortunately. But that's, that's Oscar Robertson's first rookie card as well, you know, at that 1960. And so to get those were tough, a really, really tough card was the 1968 Topps Test. Before mm-hmm. Tops put out the their tall boy set in 1969, they kind of put together a test set, which they went around to a lot of the stores to see, would you be interested in selling sets of basketball cards? And here's kind of what they'd look at. And they were kind of black and white. They weren't color. They were tough to, tough to find. Um, that There's only four of that Jerry West card even graded by PSA, only four. 
Hmm. And, and and so just to have one, I'm extremely extremely happy to have one of those. That was that was a tough tough one to to get. And so, so let's hold off on um, some of the registry talk for later because yeah. I do I do want to do a little bit deeper of a dive into that. Right. So that was in you mentioned that was in the 2000s, early I mean, early 2000s, early 2000s. Okay. I started doing that. And so you're still watching the Lakers. Of course, the Lakers had. Um, uh, you know, the prophecy was fulfilled, I guess you could say that right. Shaq and Kobe would um, three produce straight. results, three straight, right? Yeah. Including one in 2000 that we're not going to talk about. <laughs> um, so so then um, you're still collecting, I'm assuming you're amassing Kobe and Shaq cards at that time. Well, I was buying um, Kobe and Shaq, I was still buying Kobe's trying to get all, you know, more and more of his rookie cards that I didn't get. Um, you know, and, and so then what I started to do on certain key cards, I started to get more graded. And I really wasn't sure at that time. Remember, in the early 2000s, Beckett was the toughest grader. So for like the modern cards, I said, well, I, the first Kobe Topps Chrome refractor I got was in a Beckett, was in a Beckett grade. I got it graded, a 9.5. And I was very, very happy to get it. Still have that card. Um, later down the line, about eight years later, as you know, Beckett was kind of losing their luster. I said, I don't know, this Kobe card, Kobe means a lot to me. And it, they still weren't crazy price-wise. They still weren't crazy. I said, just in case I'm going to cover my myself, I'm going to get a, a PSA 10 Kobe refractor. Hmm. Just so I so in case so whatever one ends up winning. And I wouldn't do that with every key card, but just he, Kobe was a big PC of mine. But so, but I was really busy. So from like 2002 to 2010, I was really, really busy. That was just with life and work, just got a really, really tough time for me. So I still worked on my, my Jerry West registry. I still worked on some of my Laker cards to get all those sets from the 70s and PSA 9. I had a few baseball projects that I worked on the side, you know, and mostly would try to get Kobe stuff. Did not pay that much attention to, you know, like I, I heard about LeBron. I actually, my boss told me about LeBron James in like 2001 and he knew I collected cards. He said, well, when this guy starts having cards, you should buy all these, you should buy LeBron James cards. Uh, I just, he wasn't a Laker. Mm -hmm. And at that time I was pretty much just focused on getting Laker cards. And, and we're going back where I made my mistake. I, tr I tried to buy cards that I remembered, you know, cause I, as a, as a child, I really wasn't able to open up modern basketball. Those came later in life, but I remember going to the shows and I tried to buy all the cards that I used to see in the showcases. Mm -hmm. So you would see all the Jordans, you know, so the refractors 93, 94, and I've got all those even up to 99, which is a really, really hard one to get. And a lot of the different, you know, some of the inserts from 94, 96, not much, hardly any from 97. I, I can remember, I don't ever remember seeing a PMG green or red of Kobe or Jordan at a show. I just mm -hmm. never remembered seeing those. And I, I know at that time in the mid to late 90s, there were a lot of people that were coming to Southern California from Asia looking mm -hmm. for Jordan and Kobe cards. You know, and that's all that they did. But I just didn't see too many of those there to think, well, I should get one of those. Right. You know, and 
you know, and I was just a, of the mentality, the old school mentality is you get the rookie card, you know, and there's, and it was hard to all the different, I mean, just to try to get all the different Kobe rookie cards at that time, you know, was, was hard. I think I have, I think right now I have like 72 different Kobe cards, mm-hmm. which there's a lot of Kobe collectors and I, that I have a lot more than that, but most of mine are concentrated, you know, around that, you know, that 96, some 97s. One or two ninety. He only had what sixteen or seventeen actual rookies, right? Which is just wild to think about. I know I long ago I had Jake Roy on an episode and we we compared Mm -hmm. that to the start of twenty nineteen with Zion. And at that point, I think Zion had like thirty three cards before he had even you know put on Mm -hmm. a Pelicans uniform. (laughs) It's kind of wild. So so then uh, we move into the late 2000s you you kind of come back right your lakers like, are winning again yeah, the lakers lakers you know won again they beat the celtics which was you know they lost <laughs> one to the celtics beat the celtics you know and so got more of those cards but you know in 2010 things kind of settled down and i always kept a spreadsheet of all the different sports that i collected you know and, and i i did a little football a little hockey a little golf but, you know, and I looked and I said, you know, I watch a lot of college basketball mm-hmm. and which was, I was a big, big college basketball fan. And I said, there's so many of these modern cards, you know, they're, they're pretty cool. I said, I need to get in. And I looked at how many cards I had and I would kind of do an estimate more so just which cards I had to take to the safety deposit box. I would kind of do an estimate of what I had in value. Mm-hmm. And I said, you know, in investments, it's good to be diversified and I probably should be buying more basketball cards. So I seriously started looking at basketball cards much more so in like two, the end of 2010, 2011. And so the first thing I said, I said, you know, I probably need to get some LeBron. I, don't, I did not have any LeBron cards at that time. So over about a two, two and a half year period, I got like 10 different LeBron rookies. Now, these were ones not that I, I did not get the, the um, RPA. Mm-hmm. I mean, I had during the time when I wasn't collecting a lot of basketball, I did would, would follow the forums and I would hear about some of those being, um, you know, the patches being swapped out, a lot of those, some of those cards being trimmed. And at the, even back then for the LeBrons, they weren't even close to what they are now. Mm-hmm. But to me, that was a lot of money to buy something that maybe I wasn't sure what it was. So I never bought an RPA. That's one thing that I kind of wished back, you know, they, you know, LeBron hadn't really won anything back then yet. Right. And his stuff was still fairly affordable. And well, he was I, a villain too. He was, he was the villain he was, of the league at that point. And I didn't like it, but I just, you know, I watched the more I watched him play. I just said, you know, this guy, you know, is going to do it's he's just, I've, I've been lucky and that I've been around a while and I've seen a lot of these different players play. And he, he was an amazing player. He still really was. And probably the biggest mistake he made was that decision with, mm-hmm. that got a lot of people. But, but, I, but at the end of the day, I, you know, I got LeBron. I started buying rookie cards of guys, just one or two or three. I wouldn't buy a lot. I got some KD, you know, cause 07. Um, I got, um, couple of curries but never i never spent the rpas i never did you know, it would be like the refractors would kind of be the thing i did because 
you know, I was trying to buy more of these players and I just didn't want to settle on one. Now, looking back, I probably should have bought some of those RPAs. But, and even I didn't really get caught up in the exquisite deal because back then I only would wanted to buy the players that I liked kind of in their rookie year. And I just like, mm -hmm. well, why, who would want a Kobe card from a set that's in 2000, well, dumb me, but the, this set's in 2003. Why would I want a Kobe card? His rookie year was 1996. Why would I want a Kobe card from 2000, the 2003 set? And that's one of the things that I've learned and talking to the, a lot of the newer collectors that have come in to the hobby, which is great, is that a lot of people, it's just not the rookie card. People really get cards and look for cards that they think, forget the year. Mm -hmm. If it's a cool set and a cool card, you know, and that's kind of where I've tried to expand a little bit, but but I did miss out, you know, on the, on the exquisite. I missed out on that. But I did um, luck out. And, you know, when prison, prison, you know, the first prisons came out, those the, the 2012 prisms they were everywhere they weren't mm -hmm. when they first they were not all that popular no it and wasn't it, uh it, it wasn't very well received no because everybody and for me it was tough too i i was a tops chrome guy i really yeah. learned to like the tops chrome cards and those and those were just beautiful cards the different you know the photography was so great and it, it didn't even, to me, I mean, it, it didn't even register as a replacement or a stand-in for Chrome oh. because they just weren't similar at all. And, um, you know, and then Select came out after that. And even then it's like, no, I, this one doesn't really appeal to me either. No, but I did. I figured, you know, this is going to be the new company. And they, and they had, you know, the, the contract that they had was going to be for a few years. So I said, well, if I'm going to get committed and, you know, do, do some modern basketball, I just got to kind of get into it and just, yeah. Mm -hmm. And so I got, you know, some, you know, so I got a Kobe, I got a LeBron. Um, well, you know, your, almost, your guy was an early spokesman too for Punini. He, he was. Kobe was in the 2012 set. So it was Anthony Davis that time, you know, as a rookie. And so, you know, those, those cards I liked. It took me a while to get. Um, I didn't buy them at the time, but I really I bought the Anthony Davis really early, his rookie. But I didn't buy the Kobe um, spokesman flawless until just last two weeks ago. Mm -hmm. That was kind of one of the final cards that I wanted to get for my Kobe collection. Mm -hmm. I but I didn't get it then because I just was more. You know, I just yeah, you know, I just again it was hard. I I. I it took me a while to warm up to the, you know, the patch type. That was just totally different from the cards that I grew up collecting. Right. Just totally different. So. Well, it seems like time, you've made some good decisions along the line. Yeah, I'm glad. I mean, I, you know, I've done, I've done fine. I mean, I, I can't complain. It's, it's been fun. I love collecting the cards. It's something that I tell my people that work for me. It's good to have something that you can do whether it's a half hour 45 minutes a day something that you're passionate about when you take the time to do that all you think about is that is that hobby or whatever you do mm -hmm. you don't think of anything else it just takes you away you know from 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 your troubles from that day right and and so that's you know for me collecting it's just great if i can just sneak in a half hour at lunch or just get on ebay and it just it goes fast it just really yeah. goes fast and, and just to research and look 
Yeah, it, you I, never I almost, know. Uh, I feel like, well, it might even be a bad thing. It's like muscle memory now. When I pick up my phone, I, I end up on my watch list uh, sometimes when I don't, in, I don't uh, intend to, we'll put it that way. Yeah. So that takes us through about 2013. Have you mm-hmm. had any um, real breaks since then, or you, you've just stuck around since then? No, I um, not really. I've been actually, you know, again, in Southern California, for, for my job, I do travel a lot. And so, um, and there are not a lot of shows in Southern California. Um, and so, you know, I go to the national every year, which is great. And, um, and so I still, I, you know, I look on eBay, um, I, you know, I, what I have not done is I, I, you know, I have an Instagram account, but it was more a personal account when I first set it up. Mm-hmm. Now, now my algorithms are all screwed up and it's literally <laughs> all, I, all I get are, are card, card stuff on that now, but you know, so I look, I look a little more on Instagram, but I still, I'm, I'm looking forward to, and I think it's, it's cool to see, you know, the, the, what the Dallas shows have been this year, the people that have gone out. Um, we're still in lockdown. We're just now starting to open up a little bit in Southern California, mm-hmm. but before the pandemic hit, there was going to be some more shows and there's starting to be a few. So I'm, I'm really looking forward and hopeful that we can, you know, get some shows and get out and meet you know, collectors face to face and start and start to do more because that's really what 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 I miss. So let's say, um, not to put you on the spot here, let's say that Chicago proceeds with the national as planned. Have you decided if you're going or not? Oh, I've I've got my hotel. I've made my airfare reservations. I'm set to go. the 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 one thing that I need to get before I will go is I need to get my vaccination. So if I can get my shots, I will definitely go to the national. I, get well, my I, I would hope by July that you're able to get one. I, I actually got my first one last week because I'm a teacher. They let me here in Florida, mm-hmm. go ahead and get one. So I uh, got my second one coming up and, and yeah, I'm, I'm kind of thinking about the national as well. And my wife's already asking if, if we're going to book our, our stuff. So I guess well, she's on board. If, if, if they can do it, I mean, you could see, and I've gone probably to the national. I went off and on, but I think I've got. I started regularly, pretty much regular, going from two thousand eight. You know, on I went, and I, a lot of times I would mix it with a business trip where I could do that and do some business in Chicago. So, um, when you just the momentum that was picking up, and just how much more busy it was in two thousand nineteen compared to other. I don't think they would have to limit ticket sales even without the pandemic. Yeah. I think the demand would be that big for that show. Yeah. Because it was getting, you know, because I'm I'm all in. I mean, I buy the five-day pass, you know, and I get there and I'm I'm first in. I mean, I'm I map out, I get a listing of all the dealers that are going to be there. And so I have a map ahead of time. And I know what guys kind of have the things that I like. So I try to go and see them first on that mm-hmm. Wednesday afternoon. Um, it takes me half that Wednesday and then the half day, the next day, Thursday morning to kind of get around to see everybody. And then I go up and down and, and crossway. And so by the end of Thursday, I've like seen everything. And if I haven't really bought anything by Thursday, I'm probably not going to see it. Then you got to hope I spend more time then stopping and talking to everybody and not just run, you know, just doing my little 
beeline and going through all the cases. And I look for like two or three cards that you just got them ingrained in your, what they look like in the ones you want. And you see if you, if you can find them. I kind of work on lists. Um, I, I have like my A list and my B list. My A list are cards that I want to have for my PC. I have an idea what I need to spend for them. But if I have to go over, and sometimes you, you have to, if, if, if it looks better than, than maybe you thought it would for the grade, or I'll make exceptions and pay over if I have to, to get cards in my A list. Right. Um, I, I've been pretty fortunate the last three or four years where I've got every card on my A list for one. And that list now is so, that card is so expensive, it's off my A list. I've got a few more on my B list now, which my B list would be ones that I would look for just to give myself something to do because a lot of the cards in the A list wouldn't show up that much. Mm -hmm. And it would be really easy to get on eBay and look and do your quick five minute search. Now there's nothing new. And then you need something else and I would look for my B list. Even cards in my B list now have gotten a little too expensive. Well, so let's let's move into your, you know, you mentioned your collector, your collector's constitution. I like that. Yep. I like that idea, right? Have some um, some goals and some parameters. I think that's good. I could use a little bit more of that. Um, so let, let's talk about your philosophy of collecting. You are um, unmistakably a Lakers fan um, and right. have been since your childhood. You mentioned that. Now, right before we started recording, several hours before the news came out, unfortunately, that Elgin Baylor yeah. has passed away. And, and we were talking, um, you know, for those of you listening at home, him, uh, Kirk and I talked on the phone last night for a little bit. And, uh, you know, we mentioned Baylor and we, we were talking about some of the Lakers, but, um, you know, very sad to see that news today. So before we talk, you know, about your philosophy uh, of collecting Lakers, do you have any thoughts on Elgin Baylor you want to share? Well, Elgin Baylor was, um, you know, he, I was, didn't appreciate how good he was. I, you know, I, you know, I was young. So when the Lakers came to um, Los Angeles, I was three. And Elgin Baylor at that time, if you go back and you look at YouTube clips, he was kind of like Dr. J before Dr. J. He played above the rim. He had the ability to hang in the air. He would, go to the rim and hang and he would just stay, stay, stay there. The defender would drop down and he would shoot. He had very, very big hands like Dr. J, a very good score, a very good passer, a very good rebounder, um, just an all around um, very, very nice man. And I, you know, have, you know, all his, all his cards as, as, a, as a player. Um, you know, I, I felt bad. Um, I, I, know, I know you're a, a teacher, Kyle, but I had a, Eighth grade, I had a teacher, and she was a big Laker fan. And the Lakers have always played games on Sunday night. And that's, you know, they, the Lakers were like Friday night and Sunday nights are their big nights for their home games. And she would, if you were a good student, and she had like a little drawing, she would take you, she would take three students about once a month to a Laker game. And so one of the games that, when the game that I got to go was it was in the the 1971 season and they announced before the game that Elgin Baylor had retired hmm. he had got hurt with a knee injury in the mid to late mid 60s and just never was able to they didn't have the medical abilities to to, to, to do knee surgeries that they do today if he would have had that same injury as a player would today it would have had surgery and he would have it would have been no problem 
but he never quite recovered from that. So he retired early in the season and just announced his retirement. His knee was bugging him. He couldn't go on. So I saw that I was in person to see the first Laker game that, you know, that, that where he had retired. And then they went on a run and won 33 straight that season hmm. that starting with that, that game. And then they won the NBA championship that year. The first, the first championship that I saw as truly as being a fan. Wow. You know? and, uh... and then, you know, he went on and for many, many years was the general manager of the Clippers. Mm-hmm. But wow. just a very, very nice man. And always, you know, you would hear all the players that would be interviewed and just the things he did in practice, even like Wilt and Jerry West, all the Laker players would go back and just say the things that he could do. Not many players at that time could. Yeah, I kind of lump him in with guys like uh, Moses Malone, who people talk about those players, but they don't really get talked about in the same way right. or, or maybe as much um, or, or as in my, as much detail as they should right. be. So um, definitely something, you know, maybe I'll have to do a, an Elgin episode here later on, who knows, no. but so let's, let's talk about, you know, dig into your philosophy of collecting here real quick. So let's say you got a guy like Elgin Baylor. Well, the Lakers have such a storied history you can't have every card of every player. No. So how do you decide uh, what you want to target? So what I did was just try to get um, every card of him uh, of when he, when he was a player. Now, I, I have a lot of respect in the world for the people that will continue to collect a player after he retires. And they'll, they'll put tribute sets and things. For me, I, I just, I try to get all the cards of all the Lakers when they were active players. Mm -hmm. and, and that for me, and so like a lot of my Lakers sets, I, I've got all those in like PSA nines or tens and all the seventies, all the, like those cards. And, um, and you know, like, you know, and, and cause there's the Elgin, it doesn't really, there's not a lot of Laker cards for Elgin Baylor actually when he played, he's the 61 Fleer. And then he's, then he's in the, 69 tall boy the 70 tall boy and the 71 and that's it hmm. so for him it's easy to get the cards that's one thing that i you know kind of looking to do is potentially um they have a lot of cards that come out to where you know that'll you know they'll they'll honor certain players in certain sets and sometimes they'll be signed and i'm going to kind of look at maybe some elgin cards some kareem cards because I really, you know, never paid attention to those cards. Once they stopped playing, I, I just didn't pay much attention to their cards. Mm -hmm. And there's a lot of really, really cool cards. Like, look at all those exquisite cards. Yeah. You know, there's magic exquisite cards. There's Kareem exquisite cards, which are pretty cool when you look back at, back at them. But with my collector's constitution, <laughs> you know, you, you got to kind of set limits. Right. And, and, and through part of this time, you know, I have a pretty extensive baseball collection as well. And so, you know, I just kind of had to put limits on what I could do. Or now I'm mostly um, all basketball. And so I'm looking now to expand and just to, to do a lot of the cards that I was collecting, they've just gotten too expensive. And I'm, I know I'm not going to be able to retain them. So just to look at, at different things now, just because I've got the, the collector gene in me, I just can't stop. Right. Well, and, and as a, a fellow team collector, I can say, you know, and, and I don't run into this nearly as much as you would, but like if they put Reggie Miller on, a, you know, a multi-autograph card or a multi-patch card, mm -hmm. I'm competing. If I pursue that, which a lot of times I don't, 
because it's, mm-hmm. it's just too difficult. But if I pursue that, I'm competing with the, the player collectors on the other parts of that card. So now if you're looking at Lakers stuff, the caliber of players and those oh, player collectors what? you're competing against, it's, it's insane. Oh, Laker. I mean, Laker collectors are very, I mean, it's tough. They are very, very serious about it. So, well, speaking of, of serious collections and, and your philosophy of collecting, you do have your main player though. And we kind of alluded to this earlier. You um, are really into collecting Jerry West. So tell me a little bit about, I know we talked about it some already. Just tell me in general, a little bit about the, the registry and your approach to that. So that was, I could tell right away when PSA started the registry in 2001. And it is pretty slick the way they have it set up. And, and so I, that was one thing that I wanted to do was to get every Jerry West card in a PSA holder that was on the registry. Now, some of them are extremely, extremely difficult cards, and you can really pretty much only get them authentic. Um, you know, you, you can't really get a grade. There's some, this, this shows you how things have changed. When the, the NBA, the, the Players Association, looked to raise money for the, for, 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 for the Players Association. So within every city, in every NBA city, they sold basketballs. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, uh, and and depending on the city there was like a little card as part of the box was 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 what they would have players in that city there would be a card as part of the box and so you would have to cut that card off out of the box you'd open up mm-hmm. and get your basketball and cut that card out you know that's like one of the cards on the registry did that it's kind of like a, have it's, blue a, it's like a tall boy it's like a blue color it's like a bluish yeah. color Okay. I've seen, I mean, those. They're, they're, Oh, they're hard, very, very hard to get. Yeah. You know, but, mm. but I've got that, you know, I've got the, um, in 1961, which was the Lakers first year, um, bell brand potato chips in, in their bags of potato chips, they had a promotion that in the bag of potato chips, there would be a picture of a Laker player, and then there was a perforated line, and then there was a Laker schedule. So if you took that schedule and that card to a game with an adult, the kid got in free and the adult had to pay. So I've got the only card that's graded by PSA. They had two um, cards, in Jerry West cards in that 1961 Bell brand potato chip set. One was a blue tint and one was like a, a copper tint. And, and so I bought the blue one and the same dealer that I bought the blue one from had the copper ones, but he had almost every Laker player from that set. And, and he wanted to keep it as a set. I, don't, I was pretty much only interested in the West and he wanted to keep it as a set because it was so unique and I didn't blame him. And I said, look, I, this is really oddball. There needs to be another Laker fan that should enjoy these oddball cards. I didn't mm-hmm. want to have the market on that. So I said, you know, I'm just happy. I'm just happy with the blue tint. And so I put that in on the registry thinking that they would, on the bottom of the registry, they list like two or three cards, which they just put an asterisk to. And they say, these don't really count towards the registry, but we just want the collectors to know that they're out there. So if you wanted to go extra, because there's like um, a Jerry West record from 1971 that Mattel Mm -hmm. put out. Right. The 1972 record. So you could go, 
I, I've got those. There was a one-sided record and a two-sided record. I've got those graded by PSA. <laughs> they came in like a four-pack, didn't they? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I, I've so, seen a few of those sealed even on eBay. It, it, it's always intrigued me, but I never grabbed one. No, so I've I, I've got those, and so I mean that was and it it took me years to get all this stuff. So that's like for me, if someone said, "What are you most proud of in your basketball collection?" It would be my Jerry West collection. Mm -hmm. But getting back to that Bell Brand card, I sent it into PSA and just said, "Look, I got this. Can you just include this as as one of the extra cards?" They included it as mandatory now in the master set, oh, and wow. and it's pop one. Yeah. <laughs> so, but that that of, of you know I've that's the one, and I and I don't want to get involved in too much more of the it gets addicting. And but PSA does a really good job with that registry. I've got uh, I just got another seventy two liter card that I thought I had that I didn't have graded in a PSA nine. So all my Lakers sets will be done. I could I'll eventually get those in within the next month or so but it just mm -hmm. I, it just can get really really addictive so um as we're kind of rounding things out here there's there's so many things i want to talk about so i uh, someday i'll probably have you on here again um i'm curious to see how somebody that's been collecting for so long and and has you know you've gotten a lot of the stuff that you want um and a lot of that's gone up in value over time too mm -hmm. how has this past year and maybe the pandemic um, how has, has it either changed your collecting or your constitution or, or well, what changes have you seen take place? Well, I, well one thing that it done, it's funny as a collector, um, a lot of times we always seem to bemoan what we don't have. Mm -hmm. One thing that has happened during the pandemic is I, I have gotten my everything much more organized than it's ever been. And so I know what I have and I'm actually very, very thankful for what I have. And, it, you know, if it, do, it doesn't, I'm always going to look, but if I can't buy that much more, it, it won't bother me. But, you know, I never did this as a way, you know, I, I'm more of did it as, as a collection. I, I, I think you could say maybe when I, in 2010, when I started buying other players that were non-Lakers, maybe those were more as an investment vehicle. Mm -hmm. But, you know, when I was putting together all my Laker sets and getting all my, my Laker cards, you know, I never bought those thinking, well, these are going to be worth a lot of money someday. I just hope they went up a little bit. And you know, like I always, you know, I when I go through and do my finances, I make sure, you know, I pay, all, you know, everything gets done before I, you go to my card money. So I got my bills. I got my retirement savings. I got my investments, non-card stuff investments. So I get all that. And if I got a little money left, then that money always goes into card money. So it's not like I'm using money that I'm using, I'm buying all these cards because this is going to be what I'm going to live off in retirement. Now right. I've told, you know, but I always, when I, when I did retire, I did want to spend more time on my cards and maybe at that time I would, you know, start maybe thinning out the collection and just concentrate because, because it's a lot, no one in my family like <laughs> really cares. I mean, yeah. they like it because it's, it keeps me, occupied and, and, and get you know and so it's it's peaceful for me to do it and it, you know it keeps me occupied but really nobody has really any other interest to it so yeah. you know i've i've had to prepare you know like my brother and my brother-in-law and say look here's a list of everything i have you know here's you know here's here's the contact where you can get you know if you have to, here's where this stuff is stored here's where this stuff is stored 
you know, you know, just just so that so in case something happens to me, I don't want them just to throw it on Craigslist. Right. You know, I want them to know that it's this is something that you know can can be very very helpful. I never thought the prices obviously would get to what they've gotten to. It's just been amazing. I mean, just I mean, it's just you know, I look and, and it's funny because I travel a lot and. And so I've bought a lot of cards on eBay and hotel rooms. And so I'll go through my collection and it's fun to go through my cards because I can look at a card and say, yeah, I remember, mm -hmm. you know, I was in Chicago at the, you know, at the Hyatt. I remember I got that card on a late night, you know, late night auction and, and just a lot of these cards. And, you know, I really haven't, you know, traded too much. You know, I never would really buy a lot of doubles either. I would pretty much just get what I wanted. There's only two cards that I have that I really believed in a certain card and that I had to get more than that. And that's it. Most of the cards I don't really get doubles of. Sometimes mm -hmm. if it's a great deal and you might see a, a dealer who is listing three of the same card and you'll shoot them a note and say, look, I'll, if you, I'll buy all three, will you take this? And sometimes they say yes. Mm -hmm. Last thing here, right? Let's say regardless of cost, regardless of value, okay? If mm -hmm. I said, Kirk, Give me your three cards. What are your three favorite cards? Well, okay, let me kind of do it in tiers. Um, the two Jerry West cards that are my favorite are the his first Cons Wiener card, the 1960, and then the 1968 Topps Test. And what is great about those two cards, Jerry West is actually smiling. <laughs> you know, <laughs> yeah. you don't see a lot of don't see that much pictures of him and cards with him smiling. It's, he has a great smile in the 68 tops test and a very cool smile in the 1960 cons wiener. So those are my two, just because they're just, they were so hard to get and you know, they're obviously there's condition rarity to them. And just, they're just, there's only four of the tops test graded. There's only four graded six or higher of the cons wiener in the 1960. Hmm. So, so those two would probably be you know, of the really difficult to get Jerry West cards and my favorite Jerry West cards. Okay. Another condition sensitive, but a card that means a lot to me is my 1970 Pat Riley rookie. Okay. No PSA, no PSA tens in that card. Mm -hmm. Only, only 10 nines. And I mean, that card is really hard to get nice. Most of those PSA nines that were graded were graded from like 91 to 1999 when PSA really wasn't as, as stringent as graders as, you know, as, as they got later on. And so that is really a tough card to get nice. And, and just to, you know, for someone, you know, he started for me, he started as a Laker player. Then he was their color man on their radio broadcast. Mm -hmm. Then he was their assistant coach and then head coach. And then was the head coach during showtime, which was a great time to be a Laker fan. Mm -hmm. So that card, and just to see Pat Riley, not looking at all like the Pat Riley that looks like today. It's just a right. really, really, really cool card. And he's in a Portland uniform. He was, in a, he was, he was drafted by Portland. And, and I know you know this, and, and I've mentioned it on the show before. You sent me one of those, and that still um, has a, a special spot in my collection. And what I really appreciated was you ran through um, in detail his career, why he is significant to the game of basketball, not just the Lakers, but the game of basketball as a whole. And um, 
just having that letter that you sent me along with that card yeah. makes it all the more special. I think of that literally every time I see that card now. So, uh, yeah. you know, thank you again for that. Sure. And so that, you know, those would be more of the vintage. So you say 60s, 70s. One other vintage card that back when I got it, it wasn't considered vintage. You know, the Bird Magic Rookie. Mm -hmm. That is just a classic card. And to get it, really really nice there are a lot of that card but i have driven a lot of dealers crazy because to me that card is not perfect one has got to be perfectly centered with the borders mm -hmm. but the perforations have to mm -hmm. be centered and that's mm -hmm. really hard if you can get those perforations centered but that with those you know with those two players and dr j in the center it's, that's a great great card mm -hmm. so that's one um for modern cards it would be that the the jordan that first refractor because that really got me to look at modern cards and say, this is totally different, but it's pretty cool. And when you see, there's really two sets that I really looked at when you see all the cards together of modern cards that are like, man, this is something that I probably wouldn't be interested in. But when you see a lot of them together, those first two finest set, and then the, the exquisite, or not the exquisite, but the, the EX2000 set from 1996, those cards are so cool the way the little the cutouts are and the little sky in the background, that Kobe card. Oh man, that is just, a, and the Jordan in that set, it's just a beautiful, beautiful set of the modern cards. For me, mostly a vintage guy to look and you see all those together, really, really cool set. And so, you know, that's one set where I'm a, I have like seven or eight of those Kobe's out of that set. Hmm. Now I only have one of the credentials, just one. I, I got a BGS nine very, very early on I always wanted to get a PSA nine, came close a couple of times, one time at the national. And it's just a guy had just bought one from a customer hmm. and he wanted you laugh. He wanted 2,500 bucks for it, PSA nine. And it looked pretty nice. All I had on me was 2,300 bucks. Oh, I know. Now, now I could have gone to the, the money machine and got a couple of, but I just, you know what? seemed it's, like it, you weren't meant to have it right at the time right, if you right. didn't have it and the, the totals didn't and, and i up. knew it was a tough card <laughs> and i you know and i probably could have shown the guy the money and this is all i got will you do it maybe he said yeah but i that was one i just didn't want to grind a guy down on a card i thought his asking price was fair mm -hmm. and i just didn't want to grind him down from that and i said no i just and i didn't and i've never had another opportunity to buy that card hmm. i could have like three years ago I had a chance to buy a 10 for 20,000. I said, well, I just I can't do that. It's too much. Yeah. <laughs> a little bit, right? Well, yeah, so. um, Kirk, I, we have only scratched the surface. We There are so many things we could talk about. I'm sure I'll have you on again at some point. Before I let you go, um, I know you said your Instagram was more of a, a personal Instagram, but I always want to give um, a guest a chance to plug something. Is there anything you'd like to plug or anything you'd like to close? Oh, with? no, no. I... I don't, um, I, what I need to do is actually get an Instagram account where I can maybe put a couple cards, but a lot of the cards that a lot of the people want to see are more of the modern ones. And I've got some of those, but just, but just not, you know, not a lot of those. You, you know, you'd, you'd be surprised because you start posting that stuff and, and people come out of the woodwork and they start messaging you saying, Hey, tell me more about this. Trust me, I yeah, post okay. some of that stuff and it, it happens. Yeah. So maybe we'll we'll try and do that. We'll try and get you uh, get you your card Instagram set up someday. 
But until then, um, I appreciate you coming on and we'll be chatting soon. All right. Thank you very much, Kyle. All right. Well, there you have it. I want to thank Kirk again for coming on the show and sharing some of his personal history with us. I know we covered a lot of material in our conversation. Maybe there was something that Kirk said today that resonated with you. Feel free to reach out to me on social media. You can find me on Instagram under the handle at Wax Museum Podcast. I'm also on Twitter under at Wax Museum PC. If you enjoyed today's episode, I encourage you to support the show by doing all of your eBay purchasing through the link on my site. It doesn't cost you anything extra after all. Uh, This is very simple. Before you go to purchase or bid on an item, go to www.waxmuseumpodcast.com. There's a big eBay logo at the top. Click that, and it should give me a small percentage of whatever you purchase in the 24 hours that follow that click. It's a simple way to support the show, but if multiple people do that, it really helps me out. Once again, that's www.waxmuseumpodcast.com. In the meantime, if you like the content I'm providing, please subscribe, rate, and review on iTunes, Spotify, or Google Podcast. Hit up the Podbean site for a link to the merch store. Tag Taco Bell and let them know they can pay me in burritos. And until next time, this is the Wax Museum Podcast.